Welcome to episode 13 of the Happier Work, Happier Life podcast. We're here with Ricardo Mota, CTO at Genie. My name is Daryl, I'm your host for today, and we'll be talking about Ricardo's journey to becoming a CTO, his thoughts on building high-performing tech teams, and also how to encourage transparency and optimizing for humans in a startup in Hong Kong. All right, so we're in a brand new office space. Uh, how long ago did you move into here? Uh, roughly two months. Okay. Still, still smell the paint, so to speak. What was that process like in the middle of kind of lockdown, right? Yeah, it was. Um, it ended up being easier and harder in some places. We're obviously getting everything done, everything you know, in 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 the office in the right time. It's a bit coordinating people being able to move movers and contractors and so on. That was a bit harder. In terms of the team, a lot of them were working from home because of this. So that move was actually quite seamless. So it's just strange that, you know, you, you go home in one office and you come back two months later in a new office. It's yeah. not that like next Friday to Monday thing. So I guess some people maybe haven't even come back to the office yet that they've been working from home. It's actually true. So one of our one of our engineers, he went to, to China for Chinese New Year and then the, the whole border situation happened and it's, it's still there. Yeah. So hasn't seen the new office. He's in for a surprise. It's a nice place. So you're the CTO here at Genie. Uh, for the people that don't know about Genie, can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do? Sure. So Genie, we're, we're really experts in, in data, in finance, financial data in Hong Kong. Um, Genie started as, as an app to, to the consumer, help everyone be great at managing their finances, understand where their money is going, you know, make better decisions with that. And we realized throughout that journey that a lot of our technology, a lot of um, you know, the models and algorithms we're building were interesting to, to other players, um, other fintechs, other you know, big financial institutions, like big banks and lenders. And, and you know, in the last year or so, we've, we're starting to, to build that part of the business as well. And we realize we're really experts in, in data enrichment, in financial data enrichment specifically uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, we're still continuing to to help our, our end users with the Genie app, still rolling out features and, and, and updates to that because we really want to help everyone in the world be great at managing finances. Um, but we also saw a business opportunity and in a way to to be able to you know have resources to then help help the consumer through our through our B two B offering. Sounds like something I should uh, look into managing my finances. Um, can, so you're the CTO here. Now, yeah. technology is such a broad term these days. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more specifically about the, the role that you have here and what you look after? Sure, sure. So um, as a CTO here, I kind of take also part-time CPO or, or product lead as well as well for Genie. I lead what we call the product and engineering team, you know, composes of our product managers and, and engineers, uh, software developers. And my role is really to help the business understand, you know, how can we leverage technology um, and, and what kind of products can technology help build or help improve and deliver that to the end user, deliver that to being, you know, you and I or being other organizations or, or corporations that can benefit from that. So my role high level is really that, to understand how can we leverage technology and the advancements um, to build great products. Okay. I'm sure you've had a, a long and interesting journey to get to this uh, CTO point. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started with technology? Sure. You can go as far back as you want or, you know, sure, as recent sure, sure. as you want. Uh, well, if I would go all the way back, I, I would imagine probably playing with my father's Spectrum. You know, <laughs> when I was probably less than 10 years old. Um, you know, I remember there was still these cassettes where you plug in uh, and that would be your, your game. And you'd have to like blow, blow the, the cassette player from time to time, get out <laughs> of dust and so on. 
Um, but yeah, tinkering with you know MS DOS in the, in the very old days when you don't have really a graphical interface, and how could I, how could I cheat in games, right? How can I jump through the code and see if I could could leverage some benefit on the, on these games, and not really knowing what I was doing, um, you know, to so then having a very scientific like track in, in, in high school. And then when it got time to, to go into university, I already had, you know, written some software, written some small applications here and there um, and realizing, you know, what, what is a good, good place for me to learn more at the time. Uh, aerospace engineering was kind of the, you know, the, the hardest thing that I could think of. So I decided that would be a good challenge to, um, to, to my next step of learning. Um, at the same time was kind of like the beginning of, of iPhone. You have your first iPhone, second iPhone comes with an app store. So, you know, at the time, me and my friends start realizing this is a great, great opportunity. You can, you have this amazing distribution channel where you can, you know, you can distribute and you can have cost of replication very low. Mm -hmm. So we started building, uh, building apps for, for the first iPhone, for the first app store. I believe the, um, the, the actual like uh, creation of the company back, back home like in Portugal, was, I was still 19 years old or, so, or something like that. I was okay, so checking out the other day for another reason. So entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurship um, was always part of my, my blood, so to speak. Right. CEO at the age of 19. Something like that. I'm not <laughs> sure if it was CEO or who was CEO or CTO, but only just like three people company, that doesn't really matter, right? So it was two, um, two engineers and one person more, more, more business savvy, so to speak. And what type of apps did you build? Were there any interesting <sighs> creative ideas that you threw out there? Yeah, I mean, I think so. We started actually the first idea we had was kind of like a restaurant reservation platform. This was before OpenTable, um, trying to to leverage that in, in Lisbon, in Portugal specifically. But in the middle of all of this, the fi big financial crisis hits in two thousand eight, and you know Portugal got hit really bad. So it was, it was quite hard to get any any sort of, of capital, any sort of venture or non venture to to build a business. So we're trying different ways. We built, I think, in the end, close to to ten different apps. Um, but none of them really took off. None of them really met, you know, your product market fit. Um, the same time I met my, my now wife, uh, you know, in, in, in Europe and long story short, we ended up in, in Hong Kong. Um, and, and yeah, this is when I realized I need to go and figure out how others are building, uh, software, how others are building products, uh, with, with software, with technology. So I can learn that so I can one day go and, and do that. So. Um, when I arrived in, in Hong Kong, there was an opportunity to, to join uh, Nixplay, which is um, like cloud-based IoT uh, solution using digital photo frames. So photo, video, um, you know, distributed devices, you know, cloud, and kind of a, really a global, uh, global market and global customer base, global products. Very interesting challenges. I was very much an IC and an individual contributor at the time. Um, you know, joining the team, contributing to, to the APIs, to the different services that would powering all these um, all these, these connections between between the frames, between the devices. Um, you know, building things like complex um, packaging and building of of, of different um, applications for for these frames. So we had, at the time we have we had already hundreds of combinations of hardware, which means you know you need to build different firmware packages and so on. So you need to package things. In a, in a complex matter. So building all of that, building that at scale, making sure you don't brick someone's device on their mental piece. Right? So these are interesting challenges at the same time as growing a customer base and, and dealing with, with the cloud, dealing a lot with building infrastructures at scale, durability, scalability, okay. all these fancy words, but actually doing it yourself, writing the code for it. So 
um, very interesting at the time. By the end, um, I was kind of like the left hand for or the right hand for the for the C, for the CTO at the time. So starting to, to delve a bit into into leadership and to helping um, not just by my individual contribution, but also by making sure projects and, and people and the context were were aligned with with the goals and what we wanted to do at the time. Did you find it a big jump from just building iOS apps to um, building technology which had a hardware and also a software component? Definitely, definitely. What so sort of things did you learn from that? Well, I've learned that uh, you know doing hardware and software is hard. Right, making sure you get that that fit is is really hard. Being able to control what hardware your software runs on very important. Right, uh, try not to um, potentially get different variations of hardware components. Because just because you, you can save some cost on certain of them um, at the cost of your software that needs to have all this complexity. You know, you need to run the same feature set, the same application from your end user's perspective. You need to run it on all these different hardwares um, with different characteristics, different um, you know, versions and firmware and so on. Um, that, that creates a lot of complexity in the coordination of all of this, in the packaging distribution, um, you know, quality assurance and so on. So learn, learning about that, learning how it actually works in, in China across across the border, going into the, the production line or you know, building software for the production line that is able to, you know, give that first software to to your hardware products as they're being built. Um, you know, having understanding how that means then for the customer when they when they open this device and they start interacting with it, what kind of experience they have, uh, you know, learning from great uh, designers, great UI UX experts on, on what is good design, what is good user experience for, for these kind of products where. You need to interact with the hardware device, but also with with the software, cloud-based product. You need to synchronize, you know, things that are very personal to you, like photos and videos across different areas. You want to be able to send this to your to your mother, to your to your family, and, and how would that those emotions? How can you make that experience great? And in, in the in the device, in the in the medium you have to to do. Great. And you were saying that at Nixplay, you became the sort of right-hand person of the CTO there. Uh, is that when you started to get into more of the team leadership stuff or more high-level stuff? Did your role sort of change from just you know, programming and putting things together? Yes, yes, it did. It changed. Yeah, it was more like you know programming, but also uh, coordinating and, and making sure the projects and, and the context and the people, um, you know, working for, for the same thing I mean, be, and be able to anticipate um, you know, collisions and, and different parts of the business being expecting something from another part and, and, and so on. Um, I think it was not so much, um, it, it was very uh, an organic growth into that. It was not something that I, I, I set one day and I, was, I want to try this out. I want to, it was very organic. It was basically the need of the team right now at the, at the time was that. And, and, and through a set of circumstances, that was the role that I ended up feeling, right? Because I've always felt, I think, like being good at understanding, you know, what everyone is working on. How can I help? How can I add the most value with with my with my input at the moment? And that was the the, the place where I where I could where I, I thought I would. Okay. And uh, between there and your current role, did you have any other uh, experiences in? Yes. In so after that, after roughly two years, I left uh, Nextplate to join ExpressVPN. Um, so different stages in, in the company. So Nixplay, when I joined, it was already a well-funded company, but it was launching a new product. So it was going from an offline, you know, photo frame where you plug in your USB to like a cloud-based product that, you know, you leverage the, the network and the, the cloud to be able to deliver the content in, in a different way. 
Um, and, you know, we went from zero customers to, I think by the time I left, something around 50 to 100,000, something like that. Um, at uh, ExpressVPN, it was a bit different. So this was a company that was, had already found product market fit, was already at that, you know, high growth stage. You know, so I think when I joined, it was um, somewhere on the a couple hundred thousand uh, active, uh, active paying customers. Um, and it was uh, different challenges, right? So it's, you're there, you're really um, understanding what are the key metrics that matter to your business and, and how can you build technology that, that moves those metrics in the right direction. Um, and so I also still join as an individual contributor. Uh, writing a lot of the a lot of the API, a lot of the the backbones for for all these for all these servers that we had, uh, you know, hundreds of countries, thousands of servers, uh, you know, being able to react to to changes in the real world, you know, like we had cases where you know the police would come in and physically take the server with them. So what do you do now, right? Um, other times, you know, changes in the world. Sometimes political changes would mean uh, you know internet was being blocked by for certain. Cases. So, how do you react to that? How do you make sure your customers can still access, you know, a free internet and blocked, uh, and do this in a private manner? So, it was very interesting to to grow that. I think it's also something very close to me. The the, the whole internet privacy and security, being able to 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 have a private and and safe experience, very important. So, I really enjoyed um, there. It um, and it was really interesting to see a company on that growth stage. Did you have to face the police one on one when they came in to seize, seize the servers? Or no, no so just... so the servers were seized in the data centers where yeah. we were renting servers from. So no, we're not not in our office or not even in the same country. Okay. It'd still be a, an interesting experience, I'm sure. Um, so you mentioned that okay, this um, company ExpressVPN already had uh, quite a large customer base, whereas mm -hmm. previously you're working in a company still still trying to find the product market fit. Is that? So right yeah, to say, that's or? correct. Yes, yep. they were still trying to find. Do you do you um, did you see a difference in the kind of the engineering engineering mindset or the mm -hmm. approach to the product in, in in those cases? And yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Definitely, I think yeah, being in different stages definitely influences the the engineering mindset and what what matters to to the business and what skill set matters for for the people working there. But it's also obviously different people, different times of uh, you know different, different times. So it, it it's it's hard to to really nail down what was um, what are the, the main differences, but it's it's um, it's definitely a definitely a very, very it was very interesting growth experience for me and, and the way to, to, that my path went from um, you know figuring out very early on, very iterating quickly on what the user does, what the user want, what what actually matters to them, what are the the features, the use cases, the jobs to be done, so to speak, that we're doing well or not well, measuring that and adjusting build tweaking the product really quickly to a place where we know exactly what these, these are the metrics that matter. Uh, let's build systems that allows us to measure this and, and to have that, um, that, that really good feedback, good quality data that you can react on, that you can make decisions on. Um, and then eventually figuring out that I cannot build, I cannot type faster. I cannot work more hours. It's just not scalable. So how do I, how do I scale that? So this is where, you know, leadership and, and, and kind of that, that next part of my career came in, um, scaling through, through, uh, through working with, with others and be able to empower them. Okay. That's great. So all the way from blowing on the cartridge to try and tweak your performance in the game to basically doing the same thing with the product. Uh, did you <laughs> see, <laughs> um, did you ever see yourself as a, a CTO? Did you have a dream like, oh yes, I definitely want to be a CTO or 
Can you, if you were, you know, uh, back in uh, your 19 year old self, would you have imagined yourself becoming a CTO? Good question. I don't, don't think so. I think at that time, um, although it was, it's, it's clear now in retrospect, I think at that time I didn't have that knowledge of my, myself to know I have the right, um, characteristics and the right personality and skill set to be, to be in a leadership type CTO type role. Um, I think at that time I, I, I was still trying to figure out, am I going to be, you know, an expert, like uh, someone that really knows how to do a specific thing really in depth versus someone that understands more breadth of, of knowledge and is able to, you know, understand little signals and noise and, and how and when to react. I don't think it was ever this, this, this dream to, to be CTO is obvious. My dream was, and still is, you know, to, to build great products, to, to use software and technology for that, um, you know, to deliver great value to, to, to everyone. Um, and the way to, to deliver more and more is, from my perspective, is through, through leadership, through mentoring and empowering um, engineers uh, to, to do that as well, and to eventually have them you know, surpass you in, in many of the, many of the, the areas. That's great, developing people for the future. Definitely. Can you tell us a little bit about how you do that here at, at Genie? Sure. Um, so a lot of leaders, they optimize for different metrics, different uh, things, like some optimize for the revenue, some for some sort of efficiency. I like to say that I optimize for the humans. So I believe if I, if, if I optimize for the humans and if people you know, are, are nurtured and taken care of and given context, they will take care about everything else, right? They will, they will make their best decisions to do that. I, I always say that I believe everyone makes the best decision with the information they have available. So my job is really about giving them that information, giving them that, that knowledge available when they're making decisions, right? So that is the context, like why are we building this? Why is it important? Why is it important right now, right? The, the loss opportunity cost is something often overlooked, but, but very important. And then on the other side is also what information in terms of skill set, in terms of, you know, experience uh, running certain systems, running them on production, you know understanding that, you know, users will use your program in a different way that you've never thought about, right? It's about, you know, we need to write good tests, but then tests only test the things that we thought about. There will be times where, you know, things will break and they typically break all the time. So about giving people that, um, you know, that mentoring to, to be able to give them different experiences, understand what, what makes them tick? What, what, is, what is something that makes them excited and passionate about the work they're doing? Because if they're doing that, they're going to learn more. They're going to invest more personally. They're going to learn more. And again, more information to make those decisions. Okay. So information being the key to a, a smooth and autonomous sort of running team. Uh, we see a lot in the tech world. Everybody's got their engineering blog. They tell you about what stack they have, the team structure, whether mm -hmm. they're running Scrum or Kanban, whatever. Do you place a lot of emphasis on those um, aspects of a tech organization? Well, I would say probably less than, than most leadership. I, I believe, again, humans, how do we make them more efficient? How do we empower them to, to do their best work? You know, different things like Agile and Scrum and Kanban, like I've tried all of them. I think different teams will, will use them differently, right? It's all about the team, the, the thing they're building, the time, the ecosystem around the environment in the world. Um, you know, can you come to the office? Is that something blocking you from coming through the office? These small things often uh, adjust how you do that. I think at the end of the day, it's about empowering people, allowing them to make, make decisions. Um, it's about understanding what is really important here? What is important? Why why certain process is not working? How how can we communicate better? Um, and then in terms of 
methodologies. We've tried different ones. I always empower my team to come up and suggest some of these things, right? And and one of the things I, I like to to do with my teams, and, and I think you know, even at home with with my wife, is really be transparent and be honest and and have a culture of feedback. So if someone wants to try something. I will hope that they feel open to come and say, I would like to try this, but, but then be expected that people will not ask why they, they should be able, they should be able and should be prepared to defend their, their opinions. And often they're right. And then we'll do it. We'll try. We look at the metrics. We look at the, out, the outcomes. Is this working or not? You know, and obviously, you know, things that a lot of people do in the industry, you know, regular retrospectives, uh, you know, and, and reviews, um, postmortems, all these different techniques we use regularly at Genie and my teams. Um, and that really allows us to change the process, change what we're doing, but always be moving in the right direction. Okay. I'm sure both your team and your wife appreciate that. Uh, can you give us an idea of a bit more about the size of your team here at Genie? Sure. Um, I believe right now the engineering team is around 14, I think, 14 of us. Um, we're, we're, in a, we're in a bit of a, a stage where we, we know what we want to do with, with the app. We know what to, what to be experts in data enrichment in Hong Kong, but we're looking at, you know, different things. Uh, how can we leverage some of our earned secrets, some of our technical insight into a new product coming in? So um, we're a bit in a, in a position where we're, we're about to get into a position to, to grow the team, but uh, not, not in the next few, two or three months. And with all the mentoring and uh, you know open conversations you have, are there any particular topics or questions that you find your engineers are coming to you with? A particular is it technology or is it about mm -hmm. the way they approach uh, you know building a product? Can you tell us about that? Sure, um, I think all of all of them, right? The, I have all my engineers that um, that I work with. We have weekly one on ones. You know, time that you know unless there's some really red alert, some really emergency state, we're going to have. We're going to meet. We're going to talk about. So topics of substance. It's not really a status report or anything like that. It's really about understanding where they're going, their career, where, what kind of um, challenges they're facing on, on day to day, right? If, if it's one of, um, if they're managing someone, what kind of challenges are they having that? Or if it's complex problems they're trying to solve, what, what technologies, what, what kind of architectural decisions they, they, they do. And we often have discussions about uh, all of these, right? And then sometimes it's just, you know, smaller things, but there are might look smaller, but they might be important things about, you know, the office and, and maybe the, the collaboration with other, with other team members and, and how can we uh, optimize that? I feel like uh, a lot of my job is really just to, you know, give context, remove blockers, making sure they have a, a good, um, good environment to work with um, and then, you know, help them move forward. Okay. Can you tell us more about what an average day looks like for you? Sure. Um, I think not almost no day is equal to the, to the one before. But it's a combination of understanding what projects are 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 are, are we are we doing at the moment. You know what who's involved in those projects. What are the cross team um, you know situations that I need to understand is about understanding what kind of feedback we're getting from customers and from other parts of the business. What how can how when do we need to change our approach? When do we need to tweak this? When do we need to give people more context about the why changing priorities. Um, you know, smaller things about, you know, obviously still still very hands-on in terms of like reviewing code and, and pushing code uh, from time to time, trying not to block my team because I sometimes don't have the, the time that I expected to write code, but um, I still still do that on a regular basis. 
Again, these one-on-ones that I, that I talked about um, also deal with um, with some external um, you know, external efforts that we're doing, um, like like this one, for example. <laughs> okay, and um, you mentioned before about you know you have some of the the regular sort of you know postmortems and retrospectives, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, what's the kind of cadence for you here? Uh, how often do you you know plan forward or, or look back? In terms of these events, particularly. Yeah. Uh, so we typically we have uh, retrospectives once once every month, where we take a take a, a wide view approach of you know the things we've been working as a team, uh, the types of processes and, and, and definitions and things that we have and are they still relevant or not and, and if we find things that didn't go so well what can we do what are the action items to improve them um, in terms of postmortems they're quite appropriate for when there's an incident or. or or something along those lines. So it's not there's not necessarily a cadence. It's just an artifact we use um, when there's an issue. How can we you know get into a room, get into a blameless uh, mindset, and really figuring out what happened? What are the facts? What are the the little details? And typically, you know, things don't accidents don't happen because one thing went wrong. Typically, it's multiples of those. So how can we identify those and make sure that they don't happen again? So I always tell my team it's, it's about unique failures. Right. We all make mistakes. It's going to happen. I've done it myself in my career. It's about making sure you don't repeat that. How can you put in place systems and processes that prevent you from doing that? So just on that point about failure and mm-hmm. blameless culture and this you know, very open, transparent uh, um, way of working, have you ever seen people that aren't quite used to that and you see them struggle with uh, you know, uh, adopting to that style of, of working? Uh, how do you help them through that? Definitely, yeah. So I think that's something that, especially when you when you have a very different uh, multicultural team like like we have here, you know, people from different backgrounds, different um, different cultures where they grew up in and where they they've been working in, it's it's, it's sometimes tough. I think it, it takes it takes a bit of time to to get them into this culture, um, but it's it's really rewarding. So you know, this happens to me quite often where you know someone new comes in and we have our first one on one, and one of the things I always ask in the end is, do you have any feedback for me? Anything that I should have done differently that you saw, um, and you know, first time they say no, no, everything's fine. You, you, you're doing everything great, and you know, and then the, the one month, two months, three months, and somewhere along the four to eight month mark, they say, actually, you know, that that was this meeting where you said this thing, or someone said something you didn't understand, and I'm like, thank you very much, and and that's those moments where I'm like, I'm finally getting through uh, to, to this person, and I think that really unlocks uh, a much better relationship where. We can uh, be honest with each other and, and give constructive feedback. So that's really one of the key paths to, to learning, right? It's understanding what, what did you do that not so, not so well, introspection, how can I get better? Okay. Is there anything that you can do earlier on to make them feel more comfortable with that process? Or do you think it's just a matter of time, you know, that the people, when they're ready, they're ready? Sure. No, it's, it's a great question. Uh, I, I try to, to speed up. I have even one thing which is, is quite funny. Is, um, some people call it a, a manager um, readme. You know, readme is, is something we typically use in, in code repositories to, to give information about the, the code. So I have my own manager readme <laughs> where something I share with the team when they first join. And it's, it's a little bit of a kind of you know, information, but also trying to be a bit witty, a bit funny about how it is to interact with me and what are the type of things that you know, if I, if I ask you, you know, why is this done this way? I'm not necessarily questioning you and why you decided to do it. No, I really want to know why is this done this way? I'm pretty sure there's a great reason for it. 
again, I believe you've done the best decision with the information you had. So I'm lacking. I don't have some information I want to know. Um, and other things, you know, that really tickle me, like, you know, scheduling meetings with six people with no agenda. I just, uh, so these are the things that I don't really like. So it just all in one, I don't know, a few pages document um, that hopefully gets gets people uh, a bit at ease. And then, yeah, it's having these, these, these regular interactions, these regular touch points and, and really encourage them to, to be open about this and create an environment where they feel safe. Um, maybe they've seen others do that and they understand that this is not uh, repercussions or something. Have you, has anybody else created their own README? Um, it's a good question. I think so. I think I've seen some lying around. Yes. Yeah. It's one of those things that I think it's important to give to you, to the people that work with you and, and report to you, but maybe you don't want to share this with, with the whole world. Yeah. So. Oh, I saw GitHub, uh, implementing or testing that feature right now. So maybe the whole world will have readme read files in future. Uh, okay, so let's get into the tech a little bit. I know not, not everybody that listens to this podcast is a techie, but as a CTO, what are the key tech trends that uh, interest you or you know, really sort of take up most of, most of your time? Mm-hmm. So much, you know, like you mentioned data privacy before, mm-hmm. you know, we have all these cloud technologies, machine learning now is a huge thing. Where's your energy? So I think manager needs to be it, it to, to a lot of these, right? Obviously, we're we are Chini, we're experts in, in data, financial data enrichment. So that takes a lot of my time in terms of, you know, proper data science, data engineering, um, trying to get that breadth of knowledge. So I, I'll, I'm not the expert in, in, in a certain way, but understanding, you know, what, what are the, the abstractions here? How, what does this mean? So then I can, you know, hire someone or even grow someone in that role that can do that. So data science, that engineering, machine learning, you know, deep learning, things we already use and we're, we're just going to do more and more as, as time goes on, I'm pretty sure. Um, other areas around, you know, UI, UX and, and great products, how do you build um, great products, but also how you, you build teams and, and software that is that is simple, that is not complex, that is not causing, you know, huge technical debts and, and, and the speed of your team just, just plummets after a few, few months or a few years. How do we keep that speed up? How do we, um, you know, understand what what programming languages or frameworks or or how to leverage you know the cloud and some of these other services to to build that that differentiated product, right? So, you know, cloud is a great example. Uh, at ExpressVPN, I built a little bit of of the cloud for for our servers, right? A little bit of these APIs, but that's a genie that's undifferentiated, right? Like being able to build a server to run an application doesn't really matter to my customers, right? So how can I build what is actually differentiated and how can I build on top of, of good services like uh, like the cloud? Um, so some of these things. Um, and then other things looking more into, into the future, trying to understand um, what trends are coming up, what, um, you know, interactions and, and interfaces are coming in, things like voice or um, or even AR and, and VR, what what are these things mean for for the products and for our for our customers, and how can we start considering, start experimenting with them? Is there a particular trend or some someone out there that you know of that you're really interested in or excited about that you'd like to share with everyone? So I think it's not so much of a trend, but it's something we've you know I've embraced many years ago, and and the more the more I, I the more I, I you know get people involved in it, I think the more interesting, which is, which is closure, the programming language, um, and the ecosystem that comes with it. Um, so we're building more and more things in closure these days. Uh, you know, we're leveraging Datomic, which is, which is a database built by, by the same 
same people that wrote the, the language. Um, and it has a lot of principles and a lot of uh, features built in that allows us to be to write better software, simpler software um, that you know can deliver the product, can deliver the value to, to your customers faster, um, you know, and, and with less with less faults, with less less defects. So that's something we're, we're doing a lot um, in terms of trends that I'm seeing maybe against the the, the wave, so to speak, of, of the tech is, you know, don't don't think that everything needs to be a microservice. Right, a lot of companies and startups have this notion that everything is a microservice. Sometimes you even see blog posts about, oh, we have 50 microservices, and you know, but what does that mean for your customers? How many customers are you serving with that? Do you understand that? Because often you're just optimizing too early, right? You don't know enough about your access patterns, about what are what are the inputs and outputs of that service to be able to do it well. So often early in, in a startup or early in a, in a, in a, in a program, in an application, it's better to have it all in the same place. So you can, can you can move quicker. You, you don't not, everything doesn't have to be a network call away or a queue away or um, whatever mean you use. And, and you're able to learn, you're able to have more people um, use your product, understand what then to scale out, what then to, you know, to decouple into a service later. You'll always have time for that. Um, if you start with that too early, it's gonna it's gonna hurt you. Okay. So because you have a lot of experience, you're able to make these judgment calls and know how to apply these trends. How do you teach your the more junior members of your team to you know make this similar assessment when they don't have that level of experience? It's a great question. So I think in software, as a lot of the knowledge is incremental, right? You need to have good foundations in order to build um, the the next block on top, um, and sometimes. You know, you, you're talking about this block, but they're missing all this part underneath. And how do you speed track that? Sometimes is about giving them the, the learning materials, right? Giving them books or talks or, or courses that they can fast track that. It's, it's about making that part of their career development plan, which is a document we, we have together. Um, and we list down things to, to, to learn. I believe, especially in, in, in the engineering side, software development, um, it's not enough what, what you're going to learn on your day-to-day -day job. You need to be learning something outside of that on your, on your personal time. Um, typically things that are outside of your comfort zone. So don't, don't go and, and build the, the exact same application you're building in the office, go build it at home. I think it's about, you know, use a different language or, or think about a different problem, you know, go build a self-driving car or something like that. And, and often, you know, the, the, the experiences with different things that might seem completely outside of, of what you need at work will enable you to that aha moment later, right? Where you're like, this is, a, oh, I know I've used something similar. I think I can apply that here. Um, so that's one way we can, we can help people with that. And sometimes it's just about sitting together, you know, pair programming, sitting together at the same terminal for, for a few days, even if we have to, and, and just work together. That speeds up the learning a lot. Okay. That's a great, great tip for all the engineers out there. Uh, so back to Genie, uh, what can you tell us what you're most excited about when it comes to Genie? Uh, any new features coming up or releases? Well, you don't have to share all your secrets, but can you tell us about what you're most excited about? Yes, it's a tough one because what I'm most excited about, I cannot really talk about it yet, but, but it's, it's going to be really exciting. And we're working actually on two very, very exciting things right now. One of them is more academic, um, but has a huge uh, potential for, for impact and for, to help millions and millions of people you know, with their finances. That's probably still a year, a year and a half away. Um, and the other thing, it's, uh, it's, it's a bit of what I was uh, talking about a bit earlier, where 
we're using some of our earned secrets, some of our technical insight and to, to build a product that we're, we're one of the few that are in the position to build it. Um, and this is probably something that's going to come to our customers in, in a few months. Um, in terms of Genie itself, you know, yeah, on, on the data enrichment side, we keep improving our product. Uh, we're just about to launch an, a new way of, of accessing it for, for bigger corporations. So they can just go to the AWS marketplace, one click, deploy into their own infrastructure. They have all full control over the data. It doesn't go through any of our, our systems, um, but they still get the value of, of running it through our models and through our inference. And then on the app side, we just pushed the new a new rebranding. We're, we're running out a few new cool features now, even as we speak. Uh, I believe we just rolled out a new version this, this morning and a few coming in the next few weeks. Um, and then there's a cool feature coming probably around July, August uh, as well for the app that I don't want to disclose yet. Okay, we can, we can wait patiently, I think. And you've been here for just over two years? Exactly, two years. Uh, what's been the most, well, one of the more challenging moments here? And uh, yeah, tell us about how you, how you got through that. Sure. So I think one of the most challenging moments was, um, you know, understanding that although we, we love the, the app that we've built and we believe customers uh, take a lot of value from it and, and love it, it's hard to build a, a long running um, sustainable business just on top, just on that. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons for it. I, I could go into to detail, um, but I think I would just bore your, your audience. Um, but understanding that and understanding, okay, now how can we do sort of a pivot and, and, and use some of our learning, some of our technology to add value in a, in a, different, in a different place. So moving from just a pure app B2C uh, approach and, and focus and, and have the whole team, you know, even some people being hired just for that. Um, and then utilizing that the, the, those resources the best way that you know to get people passionate and, and focused on something else that is a bit different right this is not what they're so so to speak this is not what they they joined for and then how can you have those conversations and how can you you know do this you know at the same time being really transparent and really honest and, and understanding that you know people have different views of this and, and we're all um, we're all grown-ups and, and you need to have this these conversations okay did that really sort of change anybody's expectations so much that they weren't able to continue or did you find that most people were able to find a way to adapt and, and Correct. move on? Yeah, I think everyone everyone pretty much understood why we're doing this. I think a big part of it is because not just myself but the rest of the the rest of the the C-suite were very honest and very transparent about why we're doing this. Uh, and you know, we we thought about it, we we really worked hard to to communicate this and to to be there not just uh, you know, to make sure that we're communicating, have, making the right decision, but also hearing the hearing everyone out, giving everyone a voice um, into into what does that mean for them, and what does that mean for the company, what does that mean for the next month, the next year, the next two years. Okay. And yeah, it was very challenging, but also very rewarding. And I think everyone now is very focused on on what we're doing next. Okay. So the genie culture. I've heard a lot of uh, you know. Uh, repeated words, I guess, that you've used to describe what, what working at Genie. How would you describe the culture here in a, just a few words? Sure. I think, uh, like I mentioned before, a culture of transparency, a culture of constant feedback, um, open debate. It's something we, d we do often. Um, it's a culture of empowering people, giving them the right tools, um, and, and let them do their best job. Okay, great. So do you have any words of advice for aspiring CTOs out there? Um, good question. Um, I think it's it's really about, like I mentioned before, understanding the humans, um, understanding technology, 
I think a few things to always keep in mind when you're, you're building these products, you know, they are very fundamental, but I think very, very important. I always consider them, which is Metcalfe's law, you know, network effects and, and how the value of a network, you know, um, is related to how many people are in the network. And then Moore's law, how compute power changes, uh, doubles every, every couple of years. Uh, and what does that mean for your product? And, and what does that mean for your technical insight and your own secrets? And how can you, you know, use that to leverage, to, to be able to have leverage uh, when your competitors and in the market? Besides Wikipedia, are there any good resources out there that, uh, you know, books or conference talks or something that you'd recommend people go and visit? Sure. So in terms of talks, um, any Rich Hickey talk, which is the, the creator of Clojure, it's, it's great. Uh, simple, made easy is one of, one of those subliminal ones. Um, in terms of books, one book that really helped me when I was starting on my leadership role was Managing Humans by Michael Lopp. Um, other interesting books, uh, Mythical Man Month. By, by Brooks, and he even has these little Brooks law, um, you know, that says that, you know, in software projects, when you add people late in the project, the project is going to go for longer instead of, of short. It's quite interesting. Um, another interesting book is Primal Leadership by, uh, by Daniel Goldman. It's all about emotional intelligence and, and some of the things that, you know, especially as, as techies and engineers, we often neglect, but, but very important when you're working with people. So I, think I would yeah. recommend those. Right. So how do we keep up to date with Genie and all the great secret stuff that's coming out later this year? Sure. Yeah. So our website, genie.co, has, has all the has all the updates we, you have there. You can check our LinkedIn as well, um, Instagram and, and Facebook more for our app product, LinkedIn more for our uh, B2B that enrichment product. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much it. Okay. I think that wraps it up. Thank you very much for your time today, Ricardo. Thank you, Daryl. It's a pleasure. <laughs>